1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
0: Hey, what's up? What's happening? How's it going? Happy Monday. I'm Nick Springer. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson is out today. He will be back tomorrow. So, that means for today, it is Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. Pretty fun show coming up today. we got a couple guests that are going to join us later in the show. David Leskey of Inside the Crown is going to join us at 3.40 to talk Kansas City Royals. I'm excited for that. Always glad to talk to David. Case of the Mondays coming up in the 4 o'clock hour and later in the 4 o'clock hour around 4.40. John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant will join us to talk a little K football recruiting. There was some recent news that we've talked about here on the show, and so I wanted to get John's take on some of that, as well as looking forward to the recruiting for the summer for KU football. That'll be at 440, and then a little bit of a KU transfer portal recruiting update later on in the 5 o'clock hour as well. So the NBA draft combine week thing, whatever you want to call it, has officially was wrapped up late last weekend of the weekend. And so just wanted to go through and look at what some of the guys from KU did and also a couple of the guys that KU is interested in and how they performed at the Combine and if that could lead to them staying in the draft or potentially returning to maybe join KU. So first off, uh, you have Grady Dick, who measured out pretty well overall at the Combine, had some pretty good measurements. He did not scrimmage. There was, I believe, only two scrimmages uh, oh, late last week, and Grady Dick did not scrimmage, which is not that unusual considering he was already going to be a lottery pick, basically. It's one of those things where it's like, if you know you're going to get picked in the top 10, basically, why would you risk potentially playing and then playing poorly and then a team being like, well, this guy played poorly at this pre-draft combine thing, we might not take it anymore. You know what I mean? So it's like, for... For those types of players, the risk probably outweighs the reward. Like, the risk of possibly playing poorly and slipping a little bit. And, you know, versus what? If Grady Dick would have played in the scrimmage and played well, he maybe would have been drafted in the exact same spot anyway. or maybe he, you know, moved up a, like one spot. So Grady Dick didn't scrimmage, but he... he did do some interviews and did do some other stuff. It seems like the Orlando Magic might be a team that is interested in him potentially. So uh, overall, good for Grady Dick and case closed on Grady Dick returning. I think that was pretty clear from a while back. Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller both did participate in two scrimmages over the week over last week, and Jalen Wilson. In one had five points, three rebounds and an assist and but he went one freight from the field uh and two for three from the free throw line. And then in the second scrimmage he had seven points, eight rebounds, and two assists, one of four from the field, didn't hit a three, but was five for five from the free throw line. And obviously for Jalen Wilson, this is a guy that's been through this process to a certain extent previously of the other times he's declared for the for the draft and hoping that he can get drafted, right? So uh, you know this stuff matters for him certainly, and I think overall the one of the big knocks against his measurements was his wingspan, which I think was uh, not, I guess, as long as maybe some of his counterparts, should we say, uh, for his position. So we'll see what happens with with Jalen Wilson. Uh, I I mean, I'm I tend to be of the opinion of like I just don't. I understand the idea of the scrimmaging and whatnot, but I'm just—I don't—I'm not really totally sold on that being a indicator to teams. Like, like I, I don't know—are there really that many teams in the NBA that were really on the fence about a guy or maybe you know unsure? And then all of a sudden he goes crazy in a in the combine scrimmage, and they're like, "Yep, boom, that's our guy." I, I don't know, so I don't—I don't know how much you really want to read into all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure they look at the measurements and they look at, I I honestly would think that probably the measurements would have a bigger impact just because it's all about potential. So like if an NBA team sees your, you know, lane drill or whatever, or your three quarter court time speed or your arm or your wingspan, and they look at the potential of that, they might, that might be something that they view as even more important potentially than just how you did right in a scrimmage. So I don't know. So that's what Jalen Wilson did. And then for Kevin McCuller, who was probably the most interesting one for KU fans because he's a name that continues to be floated here and there as a possibility of returning. What I think is interesting about that idea of McCuller getting floated as a name to possibly return to KU, it always happens after there's some sort of negative news for Kansas recruiting-wise. Like, I don't think there was really any real... Legitimate, like being like, well, what if Kevin McCullough comes back? Ideas, Grady Dick declares. Well, what if Kevin McCullough comes back? Mackenzie Embaco doesn't pick KU. Well, what if Kevin McCullough comes back? So I, I don't know. I still, I still tend to think it's it's pretty unlikely. I think Shreya Slaughter from the Kansas City Star last week gave it like a maybe 25 percent chance, which that might even be on a little bit on the high side potentially. So I, I think it's definitely not likely. Now he struggled in one of his scrimmages. Yeah, I think he did pretty well in one. He had six so in one of his scrimmages he had six points, five rebounds, and two steals, uh, while going through a five from the field. But in the Thursday in the Thursday scrimmage, his second scrimmage, he had no points, one rebound and and fouled out uh of that game, if I'm not mistaken. So again, kind of going back to how much do you really want to read into that, but I, I think with Kevin McCullough it's it would be unlikely to me, I would say, for him to come back. Uh, you know, listen. When it when it comes to these kinds of decisions, it's not always black and white. And I think for a lot of people, sometimes they view it that way. Like, it, it kind of goes into the whole discussion of just really people recruiting to KU in general. Like, especially with with when you look at it from a local standpoint of like, you can put on the rose colored glasses and be like, all right, well, KU's got the best coach in the country. KU's got the best facilities in the country. They've got the best arena in the country for sure. Uh, why wouldn't any Top recruit want to come play for Kansas. Well, that's because there's other factors involved. It's not always. It doesn't always come down to those those types of things. And the same thing can be said for Kevin McCuller. It's not as simple as, well, if Kevin McCuller comes back, he could win a national championship. He could be the star of the he could be the star of the team, and this, that, and the other. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. And uh, refer- going back to that Trey Slott interview, I think he brought up a point about how even if Kevin McCuller comes back, and let's say he turns into a Jalen Wilson level player next season where he increases his three-point percentage to where now he's shooting like you know 33 34 percent he's obviously an all-america level defender and he ends up being like a, an all-american level player in a, as a whole i mean how much does that really raise how much would that really raise his draft stock he'd be a year older and i don't know I don't know if that necessarily that would push him even higher than what he could be right now so if you look at it from that perspective like okay Kevin McCuller's draft stock might be as high now as it maybe ever will ever be, right? Because the likelihood of him coming back to KU and doing what I just outlined is, well, not impossible. Not doesn't it doesn't seem likely, right? So, if your draft stock is as high as it's ever going to be, would you not want to then take advantage of that and remain in the draft? So I'm really pretty confident that Kevin McCuller will remain uh, in the draft. Now they did do the the three point combine leaders. And in that, McCuller did okay. Uh, he was 11 for 25, I think, in the combine shooting, which was 44%. Grady Dick, by the way, was 16 for 25, 64% uh, in the combine shooting. So so I don't know. I, I don't know. I, again, I, I think it's pretty unlikely. And I've talked about it on the show. From the Kansas perspective, you have to operate under the assumption that he is not coming back. You have to assume that. You have to be looking at all your options. Uh, if you try to bank on hoping that McCuller might come back, that's probably not a recipe for success. Now, on paper, does not make a lot of sense for Kansas? Of course. It makes a ton of sense for Kansas. They need a wing-type player at this point pretty badly, to be honest with you. Pretty badly. And Kevin McCuller would more than likely slide in perfectly into that into that role for Kansas and be what he was last year, basically. But again, it's it's not always that simple. So I I would say it's pretty unlikely for Kevin McCullough at this stage. Uh, a couple of KU targets, Grant Nelson. Although it seems more, it's starting to seem more likely that Grant Nelson might keep his name in the draft. Uh, he had six points in one of his scrimmages, and then I think the big name. For Ku, besides Kevin McCuller at this stage, that's in the NBA Combine, is Arthur Kaluma, and he scored five points in one of his scrimmages. And and Kaluma, uh, is kind of the more trendy, trendy guy right now in terms of somebody that could come back to Ku. Six seven, he's got a longer wingspan than Jalen Wilson. He he has a lot of this, a lot of similar. Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. A lot of similar of like his stats uh for at the combine, not stats, a lot of his similar measurements. Measurements is the word I'm looking for. Listen, sometimes it's hard to come up with the right word. Measurements. A lot of his measurements were kind of similar to, to Jalen Wilson, like in terms of speed and and whatnot and things like that. And he seems like kind of the guy that could be potentially convinced to come back and, and maybe come to Kansas. He's in the transfer portal. Uh, it's it's possible, right? And obviously, Bill Self and some of the other staff were at the combine for Jalen, quote unquote, allegedly. I'm sure they probably had other discussions, potentially including with uh, Arthur Kaluma. So, Kaluma is a guy. And again, I think at this stage, if Kansas had landed McKenzie and Baco, you wouldn't f- probably feel too pressed about these kinds of discussions, but they didn't. So, Kevin McCullough. Arthur Kaluma, a Cam Spencer from Rutgers. One of those guys you would feel pretty good if Kansas could could get them to come back because your starting lineup has a, has a pretty clear hole at this point, and that pretty clear hole is the wing spot. Oh, what do you know? Kevin McCuller, Arthur Kaluma, and Cam Spencer could all potentially play that spot and be successful because obviously you have Hunter Dickinson, you have KJ Adams who will probably be your four, then you have Blank in the three spot, then you have El Marcos slash Arturi with the two and one at the one. So you still you you have that spot. And we talked about this last week on the show about the idea of, yeah, it's great that KU has this spot, but are there any players, real players out there at that level, at the level that KU is looking for, that is available that would want to fill that spot? There's certainly some guys out there, but none of them are slam dunks in the sense of, that's what they want, right? Obviously, Clum is in the draft. McCullough's in the draft. I guess Cam Spencer potentially, but yeah, there's there's various hurdles to all of those different guys potentially coming to KU. So we'll just have to see what happens. And and I, you know, going back to the Mbako M- M- thing, if KU lands Mbako, you feel like the off season for the Jayhawks at that point is basically over. And instead now it's it still feels like you need one more move to be like Alright, tidy it up and we're good. Now remember and Kansas Kansas has two open spots at this point, right? I guess technically yeah, two open spots right now. Two open scholarships. So they could potentially get like both Kaluma and Spencer, or both McCullough and Spencer, or two guys, or, or you know, however they want to divvy it up. If they depending on the number of scholarships that they would like to reduce for their self imposed sanctions. So there's still a lot of questions left to be answered for Kansas at this stage of the off season. And right now, Kaluma seems like maybe one of the more likely guys. I don't even know if KU has talked to Cam Spencer. I mean, he's a guy that went into the portal last week and is certainly more of a a hot name at this point, but But yeah, for Kansas, it kind of comes down to that. And so I would say Grady Dick obviously gone. Jalen Wilson gone. Kevin McCuller more than likely not coming back. Grant Nelson seems like he might be a possibility, but maybe not. And then you have Arthur Kluma still floating out there as well. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And... I don't know. I guess I guess will have to go from there. I mean, the reality, the reality situation is this. Kansas has a top five roster right now. If they were to bring back McCuller, if they were to add Kaluma, they would probably, or even Grant Nelson, they would probably become top three, top one maybe. So there's no reason to really be panicked about KU's position, but there definitely is reason to say, okay, KU needs to add at least one more guy, preferably at the wing position, and there are guys out there that could potentially do it, that could potentially fill that role. So you just wonder what that relationship between Bill Self and Kevin McCuller is about if he could come back, how much KU could really convince him, how much KU could really convince any any of these guys in the draft. I mean, listen, I if you go to the draft, that's saying that that's basically saying, "Hey, I want to, you know, play in the NBA," right? Now, obviously, you get feedback or whatever and you can come back, but but that means you have to be convinced the other way, right? It's not if if a guy is going to the draft or declares for the draft, he is not doing so just for the fun of it. He's doing it to try to get in drafted or in the NBA, right? So that means there has to be a certain level of convincing or a certain level of negotiating that needs to occur of like, hey, you know, you can benefit X, Y and Z from coming back or feedback from NBA teams. It's like, hey, you know, you're not quite ready. This, these are some of the things you could still do to to increase your, your chances or whatever. But, you know, that that's that that's all stuff that needs to fall into place. And so while it is a little more common for guys to come back, it's not a slam – it's not a guarantee that that is a possibility. Even if it sounds great in theory from the KU perspective. So that – you know, I think that's always kind of the tough thing about this is like sometimes it can be easy to say, well, this makes perfect sense for KU. Why wouldn't it happen? Well, because (laughs) it's sometimes – you only consider the, the that side of it. You don't necessarily look at uh, the other side, right? So that's that's what Kansas has to try to navigate at this stage is trying to figure out first of all who they who they want to come back and how do they get that to happen, or who they want still in the transfer portal and how they get that to happen. So still some moving pieces left in KU basketball's off season certainly, and. We'll see what happens, I guess. All right, David Leslie's is going to join us in about a little under 20 minutes or so. And there was a big KU football commitment that happened actually just a little while ago, earlier this afternoon. Not in favor of KU. We'll talk about that coming up next. And also, the Chiefs have begun OTAs today. That next here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. You're listening to RCST on 1320 and KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN in Lawrence. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out today, but the show goes on. And by the show going on, I mean it's Monday at this time than when we normally talk to David Lesky of Inside the Crown. David, how you doing?
2: I'm good. Um, I feel like Derek's ducking me, though. I don't know why. I know. This is <laughs> what
0: this is the second consecutive week where he uh, he missed out. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to talk rude. to him about it. Might have to, might have to corner him in an alley and be like, "Hey, what's going on?"
2: I'll take care of it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Well, David, <laughs> the Royals they get swept by the White Sox after taking two of three from the Padres. To me, does that not seem very Royals to, to you? Does that yeah. seem very Royals?
2: Yeah. This is this is who they are. They are um, up and down, much more down than up to this point. I think that I, I, I think they're going to have a stretch at some point where you look at it and you go, oh, I can see it. Okay. Um, and it'll be 17 games or 24 games or something. And then they'll follow, they'll follow like a 15 and nine stretch with a six and 21 stretch or something. I mean, cause that's just where they are right now. They don't have enough pitching to sustain for very long. Their bats are up and down. I mean, that's just, this is who they are. Um, it's just the reality of 2023 for this club. It's not, hasn't always been fun. Um, but that, that's, yeah, that's who
0: they are. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the the lack of pitching, Brad Keller goes to the IL. Uh, what do you make of that? And and I, I think I remember you tweeting about the uh, the possibility of after his last start, if maybe there was an injury. I guess. What What do you make of that move? Yeah. I mean,
2: when you see command and control as bad as he had in his last start, he'd been bad. All year, No, I mean, there was one start he wasn't, but generally, really all year. Um, but that was that was the sort of bad that you go, there's something wrong. Um, and then you look at the, the velocities down, you go, okay, there's really something wrong. So I'm not very surprised by it. I am a little surprised that he pitched as long as he did. Um, although, look, if, if he doesn't say anything, I, you know, they, they don't have an MRI machine on the mound. They don't have... <laughs> They're not constantly saying, is your shoulder okay? Is your elbow okay? That's just not the way it works. So, um, yeah, I I think it's almost encouraging that he's hurt because, you know, when when a pitcher, when somebody pitches as poorly as he did in his last start and has this season, and it's funny, he's pitched poorly, but I think he leads the starters in the ERA on this team, which is um, a a bigger issue. But um, when you pitch the way he has, especially with the control issues that he's had and there isn't an injury. You're like, okay, well, what's the problem? There's an injury. At least you can say, okay, that I'm pointing to that. Let's see what happens when, if, and when he comes back. Now, shoulder issues are difficult. Um, They seem optimistic about him. I think I know he was getting an MRI today. I don't think Quip has spoken yet, or if he has, hasn't gotten out there, what what he said, but I don't, um, I don't know. I don't know if he's um, what, what the results on that have been yet, but um, you know, we'll, 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 see. I think it's again, kind of encouraging that there actually was something wrong. So there's at least some reason why he was pitching the way he was.
0: Possibly the biggest news of the day for the Royals happened just under an hour ago. Hunter Dozier, DFA. What? Do what? No, I'm
2: just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I look, it had to happen. Um, I think I said when, when they called up going, when Nikki Lopez had the appendectomy, um, uh-huh. I think I, I wrote it for sure. I think I may have said it on this show even. I, I think that Hunter Dozier has as long as Mickey Lopez takes to get back. And Mickey Lopez was activated and Hunter Dozier was DFA'd. Um, it was the right decision. I mean, he, he they, they they signed him to a deal that um, a lot of people didn't like at the time. I really didn't have a problem with at the time. It, four years and $25 million is not much money. Like It's, it's really nothing. It um, doesn't matter what it is relative to the it doesn't matter four years and 25 million for a major league baseball team is it's like you saying, you know what? I'm going to get the extra order of of meat at Chipotle. I'm going to get double steak. And in the the end, you're like, "Ah, I probably shouldn't have spent that money, but it doesn't hurt you. Um, It hurts your cholesterol. That's where it hurts. But um, which the Royals wins and losses were their cholesterol and Hunter Dozier hurt their cholesterol, but um, it had to be done. It's, To me, actually, really encouraging organizationally that they made this move. I I tweeted this a few minutes ago, but players don't get DFA'd with this much time left, generally. Um, They're not too far ahead of where it starts to happen. But usually, if you're getting DFA'd the year before the final year of your contract, it's usually like July. Uh, It's not before Memorial Day, typically. So there are a few examples. of, You know, in, in recent years, I'm trying to think of I mean, somebody tweeted to me, Aaron Hicks, just got DFA'd. He signed through 2025. So that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, also the Yankees. Also, you know, so it's a little different money-wise. But um, I think it's encouraging that they they gave him a fair shot. They gave him a few weeks. They gave him 91, 94. I can't remember how many played appearances exactly, but 90-something. And, and it didn't work. And now he's gone. And that's that. And, you know, it's, it's um, part of the game. It's unfortunate. He's a good guy. And he had a really good year in 2019. But um, you know, I think the team is better for him to not be there.
0: Do you, do you think he has a chance to maybe re- revive his career anywhere or anything like that?
2: I, I wouldn't say no. I think that he's he's hit well against lefties in the past as recently as last year. Um, he's not going to wow anybody with defense. But I, I, I would not be surprised. I mean, look, you look at a team – I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been following the Rockies as an example very closely, but it wasn't CJ Cron hurt. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a, maybe there's a move there and you go to Colorado and who knows what your career can start to look like, but um, yeah, it looks like he's is still on the aisle. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's always a chance. The guy, it's not like he's a talentless player. He, he, I think he got, they got to a point in Kansas city where it just wasn't going to turn around. And, if you tell me to, if you tell me right now he's never going to get another big league at bat, I'd say okay. If you tell me right now he's going to have a season with a one zero five OPS plus at some point in the next three years, I'd say okay. You know, I think it's it's anything is possible there. Um, some team will will find a use for him at, at, in the minors, and and maybe he'll work his way back up.
0: Well, despite the Royals getting swept by the White Sox, Carlos Hernandez looked very very good. What do you think has sort of led to that to this change of him of him looking the way he is now?
2: Well, I, I think a couple of things. That the fully going into the relief role, I think, has really been big for him. Um, I was told before the season the Royals they don't they're not closing the book on him as a starter, but right now they like that he doesn't have four days off in between starts, and that that you can read between the lines on that. I did. Uh, you know, it, a lot of guys don't don't do as well when they have those days that they know they're not going to be pitching. Um, I, I don't know what happens in those four days, but there are things that happen. So um, I think that he's, he's found a niche as a reliever who can go any given day. I mean obviously he's not probably not available today or anything. but um, and that's helped I think the short sit in general has helped him throw harder, has helped him get a little more bite because he doesn't have to pace himself for, for 9,500, 105 pitches, whatever it is. I mean, that's been a big help. And I think that the, the, the coaching staff and I, the Royals have two off days next week. Um, and I, am planning to do a little bit more kind of off season ish, the two off days in a row, which is the dumbest thing in the world, but I'm planning to do a little, <laughs> little more off season ish, off season ish, looking at some things and see, you know, are his mechanics different? I haven't really dug into it. Um, but his fastball is playing much better. The slider looked just filthy yesterday. Um, and then a couple days before that, when he pitched against San Diego, his splitter looked filthy. So he's got multiple pitches that can look good. But I think the biggest thing is just fastball is starting to get actual swing and miss on it, which he's never gotten before. Um, so I think you really have to credit this coaching staff with with whatever change they've made. Um, and, and he's thriving in the role he's in. I, I like him as a late reliever. I like him as an opener. Um, I would like him as a bulk guy. I think that there's there's a lot of options for Carlos Hernandez right now.
0: Yeah, with that change to being more in the relief role, like you talked about, plus kind of the opening type stuff, I guess with the like the mentality side of it, do you think it's sustainable? Do you think it's where he can keep kind of building good outings on good outings to be sustainable like this?
2: I, I mean, the stuff is there. It's it's pretty apparent. It, I you don't have to be a scout to watch Carlos Hernandez pitch and go, wow, that guy's good. <laughs> I think that <laughs> you know you, you watch that outing yesterday, and it, it's hard to it's hard to not be impressed with what he does out there. So. I think it's sustainable, I, and I also think, yeah, the, you talked about building good outings on good outings. Some of it is mental. I mean, the, I say this all the time: these are human beings playing baseball. These are not robots playing baseball. Success can breed success, and I know that sounds like, you know, this kumbaya stuff, but it, it really is true that confidence can help you to kind of a fake it till you make it. In, in some ways, confidence can help you to become better and to build on that and eventually maybe he can get back to starting and maybe he can be a guy who can throw 98 in the seventh inning of a game. I don't know. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I do think it's really important for the Royals and for Carlos Hernandez for that success to keep building. Um, and I think that's what they're doing with him and the role he's in.
0: Well, I was planning to ask you about entertaining the possibility of moving Bobby Witt out of the leadoff spot, but then the Royals basically answered that question for me. They released their lineup. I for- think they'll hit him six
2: tonight. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, Yes.
0: <laughs> A little bit of uh, David Lesky-Nostradamus there. Yeah, so he's hitting six today. So uh, what do you think of that move? Uh, what do you think of the idea of him not being leadoff now?
2: Well, so I think there's there's two sides of the lineup. One is what helps the team win. And one is what's best for the 20, let's say 2025 Royals. Right? I mean, it doesn't matter what year you want to put on it. It's not this year. <laughs> this year doesn't matter to the team. So, if you think that it's important for Bobby Witt Jr. to get the most at-bats because the 2025 Royals will be better for it, then he should be hitting leadoff every day no matter what the numbers are. There's, there's a third that I'll get to, but if you think that it matters if they win a game in 2023, then Bobby Witt Jr. should not be the leadoff hitter. He doesn't get on base enough. He's struggling in general right now. But even when he's going good, I mean, he just doesn't work enough walks, and he doesn't, he doesn't hit for a high enough average to, to negate that. You know, like Trey Turner doesn't walk either. But he hits two ninety to three twenty. So when when the gap is forty points, if you're hitting three twenty, you're still getting on base at three sixty clip. Um, uh, his his gap might be a little bit bigger than that, but you know what I mean. So th- there are those two schools of thought, but there's the third, and it's you can you can all you all you can want is for the twenty twenty five team to be better, and so you do whatever it takes for that team to be better in twenty twenty three. The problem is when it starts to get to a guy mentally. And I don't know that it has or hasn't with Bobby I Witt. I can't imagine it hasn't, though. He's struggled for so long this season. So, you know, at, at that point, what's best for the player might actually match up with what's best for the team. And I, I'm guessing, with no inside knowledge here, I'm guessing that's what's happened. Um, it will not surprise me at the least, if he goes out there over the next couple weeks hitting in the middle third toward the bottom of the lineup, you know, the top of the bottom of the lineup or the bottom of the top of the lineup, whatever you want to say, um, if he goes out there and gets hot, and it wouldn't surprise me if they move him back to the top of the lineup and it continues after that, so maybe it'll work, whatever, but I, I think that as as of right now, you What's best for the team doesn't necessarily matter as much as what's best for the player. I think what's best for the player right now is for him to hit where he is tonight.
0: Well, speaking of guys kind of going up and down, you wrote a little earlier today about Michael Massey's development. What has you excited about uh, his recent uptick?
2: I mean, really, it's the, it's, the, it's the pitch recognition of the pitch selection. And okay, let's use the royal term, the swing decision, um, which, again, is a great term. <laughs> I mean, we should be using that because it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Yesterday, his home run, um, I highlighted that specifically. He saw five, oh, six pitches in the at-bat. Uh, two of them he fouled off. And he took two pitches that I – I can't prove this because I don't have uh, like a, any kind of dual time machine or anything. But I think a month ago he would have swung at the two pitches above the zone and the one pitch on the uh, off the outer edge of the zone. He took all three of them. So that led to a three-and-two count instead of a strikeout. And on the three-and-two count, he hit a home run. Um, this is something he's been doing for uh, a month ish now. It's rough. I mean, it was roughly late April. He had those three straight two hit games. You could kind of start to see it clicking a little bit, but he was swinging at better pitches. It, it, it's such a. It's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's such a simple concept. And his swing decisions have gotten so much better that it's allowed him to hit much better. And and he's you know, he didn't have a great. Great week. I Everything mean, I he only had two hits all week, so nobody had a good week. To be fair, um, <laughs> but he's just swinging at better pitches, and when you swing at better pitches, you end up with better results.
0: Well, Drew Waters could also be back soon. Uh, what are your expectations for his potential return? I think you would, you would suggest that he might return tonight. He's not in the lineup, but what what are you what are you hoping to see from him when he comes back?
2: Yeah, I'm surprised he's not back. I think that. Um, he only has 20 days on rehab, and I think today's day 14. So, I mean, it, it's happening this week unless they option him, which I can't imagine they will. Um, and plus, he had, a, he had a really good game history. I thought they'd want to get him up while once his back gets going. But maybe they want to give him a couple more days. Anyway, I, I think what we'll see. Kyle Isdell's injury gives him a, a clear spot in center field. Um, I think he will be there just about every day. Maybe, you know, JBJ will probably still be on the roster. I would guess that they sent down eighty. When, when Drew Waters is activated. So they want a true center fielder. I get that. That's fine. Um, and the, the Bradley will, will play once a week maybe, but we're going to see him a lot. And I think we're going to see if the power last year was real. Um, he he makes some pretty good swing decisions also. There is swing and miss in his game. That doesn't necessarily mean he's swinging at bad pitches. He just doesn't always make contact. So we'll see if he gets exploited a little bit. He showed he showed some, some really nice Um, nice results last year in a limited sample. So I'm excited to see if he can be a part of the next good team. I don't know if he can or not. The injury was really bad for him. It was just terrible timing because he would have had, you know, 48 extra games, 50 extra games, whatever it is, before he gets back up. But um, I'm I'm excited to see him. The defense is real. The power is real. We'll see if he can make enough contact. That's going to be the, the differentiator for him.
0: Vinny Pasquantino recently made some comments expressing interest, basically, in signing long-term with the Royals. What what's kind of your take on that? Are you surprised by comments like that, or how do you view that?
2: Um, no, I'm not surprised. I think that you know most guys will will often say that they want to stay long-term. Um, I I get the impression that he's a pretty genuine guy, and he wouldn't say that if he didn't want to. Um, you know, I, to me, his the decision on Vinny Pasquantino, I would sign him because I think he's great. Um, I think he's a top 30 hitter. I said that, I don't know, millions. <laughs> but um, I, it's tough because he's a first baseman DH. And do you commit that kind of money? He's 25 already. You know, do you just say, we're going to pay you through our arbitration years and then, and then move on? We see what happens to some of these guys. But I think his approach at the plate separates him a lot. Um, I wrote in October, maybe November, um, that the comp that I give him is Freddie Freeman. So, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Um, I would get it done. I would get it done. I don't, I'm not surprised he wants to get it done. He seems like a guy, I think, who, who, wants, who wants to take, who wants to turn somebody into a winner rather than sign on with a winner. Um, I think he wants to win, though which is important. So I don't know um, if I'm the Royals after those comments, you, you almost have to reach out because then it becomes I mean, not, not to, not to pit you against the player, but kind of becomes a PR battle that you can't lose if you're the one reaching out. So I, I would, I would get it done as soon as possible before, before he, before the number gets even higher for him.
0: All right, real quickly, your player of the week from last week.
2: Nobody. No, um, <laughs> offensively, Man, they were bad. Michael Garcia is the only Royal this past week with a with a W. We waited for intruder plus of hundred or more. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to give it to Carlos Hernandez. He only threw four innings, but it was it was a bad week, and he was really really good in those four innings. He had seven strikeouts, no walks, two hits allowed. Um, he was the opener for a win in San Diego, so he's he's the guy. For me.
0: All right, well, he is David Lesky. You can catch all of his work on Inside the Crown. All for all things royals. David, thanks so much for your time once again.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, Nick.
0: All right, thanks. That was David Lesky of Inside the Crown joining us here today on RCST. And again, you can hear all of, you can go read all of his work. I guess you can't really hear it. You can read all of his work over at Inside the Crown. He does great job covering the royals. Uh and love having him on the show every week. But That'll do it for hour number one of the show here today on RCST. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, a case of the Mondays. And later on in the hour, John Kirby will join the show as well to talk KU football recruiting. And in the 5 o'clock hour, uh, an update on KU basketball transfer, that and more on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to RCST on KLWN.
1: Getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender?
0: I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs>
1: Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was, right now, on Rock Chalk Sports Talk.
0: You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache, okay? Let's just calm down. How am to calm down. Look around you. With
1: Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds
0: like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Nick Chuck Sports Talk today. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today, but he will be back tomorrow. But uh, the show goes on without him, per usual. And it's time to get into our Case of the Mondays on this Monday here on RCST. All right, first up on Case of the Mondays. Case of the Mondays for Victor Wembanyama. if he's literally not one of the five greatest players ever. The hype for Victor Weminyama has been pretty insane. And then Chris Boussard of Fox Sports on First Things First said that if Wembanyama is AD, KD, or Hakeem Olajuwon, that's a disappointment. I expect him to be one of the best players ever, to have a career like LeBron, Jordan, Duncan, Shaq, or Kareem. And yes, the hype for Victor Weminyama has been real. Now listen, I am a bit young. I, I've seen a lot of people on social media say, has there ever been a player hyped up this much? And then I have seen a lot of various clips of LeBron James from when LeBron James was coming out of high school. And based on my very, very limited research, so at the time that LeBron James was coming out of high was coming out of high school, I I would have been like ten, I think. Uh, or maybe even a little bit younger. Actually, yeah, I think a little bit younger so i don't i obviously at the time probably didn't fully understand or appreciate the scope or scale of the lebron james hype coming out but based on my very limited research i feel that actually it's a little bit more than Weminyama. now i think that probably has something to do with the fact that Weminyama is not from the united states right he's, he's coming he's from france if he was an american player the hype would probably be more i would say but certainly it still has been Significant and for a good reason. I mean, he seems like a generational talent. He seems like a fantastic player, but but yeah, it does it does feel like in the NBA you have like kind of this tier of all-world players, of players that are really 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 good and have outstanding NBA careers. And then there's like a tier above that of like the greats, right? LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, guys like that. Tim Duncan. Is Wenbin Yama going to get to that tier? I don't know who's to say, but he could be having a case of the Mondays if he doesn't get to that tier because certainly the pressure was on, uh, and I'll be curious to see how things pan out. I mean, basically, is this something where we're going to circle back in 20 years and be like, hey, yeah, the hype wasn't there, or, you know, or is he going to have five titles by then, and, and everybody will be like, yeah, this guy, one of the greatest to ever do it. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. All right, Case of the Mondays for offensive linemen. That's right. Mitchell Schwartz, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs, now a frequent tweeter, pointed out the fact that the this year's rookies at the NFLPA's rookie premiere, which is basically they, they take one rookie from every team, and it's essentially like a highlight event, I think, or basically it's sort of from like the NFLPA. Well, Mitchell Schwartz pointed out that there wasn't a single offensive lineman of the all the rookies from every single team that was picked. No offensive lineman. I mean that's that's pretty disrespectful, right? Offensive linemen are the backbone of the NFL. They are the they are the foundational pillar of the NFL. They are very important players that never ever get enough respect no matter what. And I think that's pretty well known. But to me, this is a new level of disrespect. Even by the NFL itself, the NFL PA, being like, eh, you know what? Offensive linemen, they're not sexy. They're not cool. They're not interesting. We're just going to go out and get a bunch of skill position players and say, here's our NFL rookie premier team. I mean, that's insane. That is insane. Like, offensive linemen, like, what is what is any great quarterback without an offensive line? Nothing. Nothing. Offensive linemen equals very important but not according to the NFLPA, tough blow for offensive linemen. Case of the Mondays for if you are an offensive lineman. And again, listen, I acknowledge the fact that offensive linemen are going to be disrespected regardless. That's just the nature of playing the position, I think. And I would say at this stage, most players who play offensive line recognize, and in some cases even you know kind of lean into the idea of, you know what, we're just gonna go out and, and do our thing, do play hard, you know, put in the hard work, and I'll be damned if I get any recognition, right? I feel like that that as an offensive lineman, if you're going to be an offensive lineman, you understand that, right? But again, you're still obviously a part of an NFL team, you're in the NFL and everything like that. For the NFL to just slight you like this, man. Case of Mondays for offensive linemen. Case of the Mondays for the PGA tour. Brooks Kepka of live wins the event i believe this was his third pga championship and he's been on an insane run and kind of there i think there even was a little bit of a sort of a a situation in which i think he maybe kind of shunned one of the guys after he won like from the pga to like shake hands or whatever and you know, golf is a very unwritten rulesy game. There's a lot of things like you know, you go to and you go after you win, whatever, all stuff like that. I don't know. You get the idea, though. But yeah, Brooks Kepka wins and kind of a, sticks it to the PGA, I guess, so to speak, by winning the major. kepka has been on an insane run at majors. Uh, he has more major wins than any other than other events that he has won. If that makes sense. Like basically, he's won more majors than he has won like non-majors essentially which is just simultaneously very impressive but also like well if you're if you can win majors why don't you win other events too I don't know maybe it's he only shows up when the lights are bright who knows so he has three PGA championships like I said that's one behind Tiger Woods two behind Jack Nicklaus he's won five majors ever as well so pretty impressive stuff and also for the PGA so first of all Brooks Kepka wins so that sucks, PGA. But then on top of that, the biggest storyline of the event was Michael Block. Michael Block stole the show. I mean, he was there. Was it was arguably bigger for him than it was for Brooks Kepka to win the to win the damn thing. Michael Block. Uh, for those that maybe aren't aware of his story, he is not even on the tour. So I don't. I, listen, I don't follow the PGA. I don't necessarily understand everything about the PGA. But basically, my understanding is Michael Block is. I believe he is like a, what what they call him PGA professionals, where he's not on the tour, but he's like a, a PGA guy, and he does. But most notably, what was drawn attention to the most this weekend was at the country club that he runs or works for, he he offers golf lessons for 125 150 bucks an hour at this, at this uh, country club. I believe it's in California. Not even on the tour. He finished 15th, okay? He finished 15th. 15th equals 300 grand, by the way, in case you're wondering, for four rounds of golf. But that wasn't even maybe the most impressive thing that he did on the weekend. He also hit a hole-in-one on 15 yesterday. But not just any hole-in-one. He dunked it. He swished it. Straight in the hole. Straight. Didn't bounce. Didn't hit the green. Straight. The ball goes up. Comes down. Swish. Swish. And now listen, like I said, I'm not a huge golfer, but I can't imagine that's happened very many times that anybody's ever done that, like, especially on a, you know, with that kind of audience, right? I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, you maybe had a few beers with your buddies and, you know, one of your friends is like, dude, last weekend I switched a hole in one and everybody else is like, oh, no, you didn't. No, what, dude, what are you talking about? No, you're making that up. Well, Michael Block had hundreds of thousands of spectators live and on TV. Watch him do it. So nobody can take that away from him. Nobody. Case of the Mondays for the PGA Tour. All right. Case of the Mondays for teams playing eight seeds in the playoffs. So the playoffs for both the NBA and the NHL are going on right now. And that is not the only similarity. Just the fact they're both going on. Both playoffs have an eight seed who is making a run and potentially going to the NBA finals or the Stanley Cup final in the NHL you have the Florida Panthers who were basically not even going to make the playoffs towards the end of the NHL's regular season they sneak in as an eight seed they in in the East they play Boston the Boston Bruins in the first round which by the way Boston had one of the greatest regular seasons ever ever in the history of the NHL Florida takes them out. They play Toronto. They take them out. They go to Carolina, and they're up 2-0 on Carolina in the Eastern Conference Finals of the NHL playoffs. With Game 3 is tonight, I believe. So they are on the verge of potentially going to the, fi- the Stanley Cup Final as an 18. And then, in the NBA, you have Miami. Miami needed to win a play-in game. Or a play-in tournament, Whatever to make the playoffs, they get in, they take out the Bucks, then the Knicks, and now they're up 3-0 on the Boston Celtics, and for the Celtics, I mean, last night's game was rough, they, they look like, I mean, I was yelling at my TV, throw in the damn towel, someone throw the towel in for these guys, this is done, over, it's over, they're up 3-0, and they just beat the Celtics by 26 last night, and it feels like they are basically a lock to make the finals at this point. So if you are a team in the playoffs and you're playing an eight seed, it's not been good. I just realized it's also hilarious. That's Boston now that has lost to both eight seeds. It was the Bruins who lost in the first round to Florida, and now the Celtics about to get probably swept by the heat. Probably swept. Quick side note case of the Mondays for Grant Williams, who Decided that he wanted to go after Jimmy Butler, and that was a big mistake. He got clowned on multiple times on the court. Oh, and off the court on Jimmy Butler's Instagram. So, Case of the Mondays for Grant Williams also. Case of the Mondays for the NBA media. They are already mad about a possibility of a Heat and Nuggets final. And I want to focus specifically on the Nuggets-Lakers series here. Dude, this whole series, it has been a constant bombardment of Lakers crap. I mean, dude, it started in game one. There was a, I mean, everybody, I mean, ESPN, all of it. There was a ridiculous video of like after Jokic made a free throw to kind of ice the game in game one, and Austin Reeves takes the ball and like dribbles it once, and everyone's like, oh, look at Austin Reeves showing his frustration. Grr, Grr, Austin Reeves, like a, he's such a tough guy. Michael Malone actually went off about this. I think it was after game one, or maybe it was game two, where he was basically like, dude, Jokic just had an all-time great performance, and everybody wants to talk about, all anybody wants to talk about is the Lakers. Now the Nuggets are up 3-0, and immediately the narrative is, could LeBron and the Lakers be the first team to come back from down 3-0? Yeah, it's, it's crap. It's crap. It's annoying. And listen, I'm not a really huge NBA guy, but I'm going to be watching a Heat Nuggets final. I would watch that. I would definitely watch that. So boo-hoo, you don't get Lakers-Celtics with LeBron in the finals. Which I think is probably what a lot of people wanted. And this maybe goes against the idea that the NBA is scripted. I don't know. Or maybe it is scripted and this was like they wanted to build all this hype just for it to... I don't know. I don't know. Case of the Mondays for NBA media. Case of the Mondays for Doug Sermons, the official in the Big 12. John Higgins is gone from the Big 12. He's gone. He is no longer going to be a Big 12 official, which depending on who you ask could be a great thing or I guess it's probably only a great thing depending on who you you ask. So John Goodman, or Jeff Goodman, excuse me. I was thinking John. Jeff Goodman tweeted this about uh, a couple hours ago. John Higgins, long considered one of the top CBB officials in, in the country, that should be on a lot of tech tests, by the way, is now the coordinator of officials for the Basketball Officiating Consortium. Higgins will oversee recruiting, selecting, developing, and evaluating, and assigning officials for every men's basketball game hosted by schools in the WBOC, which comprises the Pac-12, Mountain West, WCC, Big Sky, Big West, and WAC. And this also means that Higgins is done with on-court officiating. So Higgins is out of the Big 12. Now, the reason this is – now, you might be thinking – Doug Sermons is probably gonna be the become the top official in the Big Twelve now. So you'd be thinking, why is that why is he having a case of the Mondays? Sounds like a good thing, right? Wrong. Now he's just gonna be the one taking all the brunt of upset fans over bad calls that are inevitably going to happen. So it's a tough day for Doug Sermons because he is about to get unleashed upon by Big Twelve fans as the top official. That's just what big that's just what fans do, right? But yeah, so that's that's why Sermons is on is on Case of the Mondays here, replacing John Higgins as the prop, most likely the top official in the Big Twelve. Is he is about to get a lot of fans yelling at him? Not that he already didn't have a lot of fans yelling at him, but now it's like the entire spotlight is probably going to be on him with Higgins out of the way. All right, that is our Case of the Mondays for this Monday here on RCST. Coming up in about twenty minutes or so, we're going to be joined by. John Kirby of Jayhawks Slant to talk a little KU football recruiting. Coming up next, we're going to dive a little bit more into uh, just some NBA news as well as what DeAndre Hopkins thinks or what he's looking for uh, in, the, in a new team. So you want to stick around for that. John Kirby in 20 minutes coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. A little bit of an update on KU basketball transfer and recruiting as well. That's what's coming up next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is RCST on 1320 101.7 FM, KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk here on 1320 101.7 FM KLWN in Lawrence. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out today, and right now we are joined by a guest, John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant. John, how are you doing on today?
1: Good man. How you doing? We're uh just kind of in that weird we're in that weird stage now where you kind of go through a couple months here where you're just waiting for football and and just talking about it. So, it, it's that we hit that same span every year about right now.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, even still, there's been some pretty notable news recently for KU football. Uh, First off, it felt like the one position they were really looking to add was defensive line coming out of the spring, and they did that last week, adding Dylan Brooks from Auburn. Just what were your initial reactions to to that signing for KU?
1: Well, it it, it was positive, first of all, because I believe they they had a couple scholarships to give and they were going to look to the portal. And and i got to tell you, the portal this spring has been very difficult. It, it's been much different than, than the portal that we're used to seeing in December. It was kind of a seller's market, if you will, because there were so many schools looking for defensive linemen and defensive ends. There, there were guys, Nick, that were getting, like, offers, multiple offers from Power 5 programs who maybe had one sack, okay? I mean, there, there were defensive ends who had never hardly played much that were picking up, offers every hour because it was just such a premium position. So they, they, they were really looking to find one or two. And Brooks, Brooks is a guy, you know, you look to the portal sometimes for guys to come in for immediate help. Sometimes they've got one year left and things like that. Brooks is a little different in my opinion. I think he's more of a, a program guy with some potential. He was, a, he was highly recruited coming out of high school. So the staff's going to have him for three years. So he's different from a lot of portal guys that we see because you know most people are looking to the portal for immediate impact, and I don't know if Brooks is an immediate impact guy, but he's someone that you can develop over three years that you know has potential. So I really like that pickup.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because when KU loses Lonnie Phelps, I think generally the thought process was, can you find that impact guy, and kind of like you mentioned how maybe there wasn't that many of those guys in the portal this spring, so I guess to that point, do you think, what do you expect from Brooks coming into this this fall, this season, right? I mean, you mentioned how you think he might be a program guy. What are your expectations made for him just coming in right away this season?
1: Well, you know, he's gonna... You know, he was he was kind of up and down at Auburn, okay? So... He's going to have to come in, you know, hopefully report, report here in June and just come in and learn the system. And, again, I don't know if he's going to be a guy who's sitting out there on every single pass rush down and things like that. So, I mean, you know, Kansas still has some defensive ends there. They've still got Joyner, who's a pass rush guy that we didn't get to see in the spring because he was injured. So I think Brooks is somebody that can work into the system, but I don't know that I'd sit here and say, hey, he's got to be the guy because there's going to be some other options as well.
0: At Auburn, I think he was listed at about 235 pounds. Is there any concern size-wise, do you think, or do you think he needs to add anything weight-wise coming into KU?
1: Well, we had him coming out of high school in the 250 range. So I think, you know, there's there's a, there's a couple of styles of defensive end that you can do in KU's four-man front. Okay, I mean, There's one in kind of a strong side guy who maybe plays around a little bit better and then maybe a weak side guy who gets after the quarterback a little bit better. And I think Brooks, once he gets in Gildersleeve's program and, and and could add some weight, I think he could be more of a strong side guy, maybe more like a Jeremy Robinson type, where he's a little bigger, got, got a bigger frame, could play the run, and, and give you some physical support. So I kind of think that's where he could trend in his time at KU.
0: You mentioned Joiner, and I do think it's still an interesting question now. You, you lose Lonnie Phelps. Uh, besides Brooks, I guess, who you think might be a more of a program guy, what are some guys that you think you do need to step up on the D line next season with the absence of a guy like Lonnie Phelps?
1: Well, you know, I, I talked about Joiner, and that—that's one of the things that they got with him is—is is he came from, from Utah State, and he was a guy. He came from University of Miami to Utah State, and he is a pass rush guy, but he was banged up all spring. So the problem is with with that. They never got a chance to see him they know what he can do when when they signed him they they signed him off potential and what he could do on film so if he can get healthy i think he's a guy right there you've got hayden hatcher who does have some athletic ability and he's got some explosiveness but again you know hasn't done it consistently Uh, a new name to watch tony terry but you know tony terry you know, he may not be far away from growing into possibly a strong side guy or an inside guy because with his body frame, he could get much bigger. Um, Dean Miller is another guy that, you know, has some pass rush ability. He's athletic, just needs to add more weight. So, you know, that's the thing about D-line is when when you, when you lose Phelps, you go into the off season and you're like, man, you've got to upgrade this. And you know what could happen too, Nick, is we – Sometimes we get pigeonholed as fans and people who follow the program thinking, oh, my gosh, you're never going to get to the quarterback if you didn't get a defensive end. Well, I mean, yeah, I look back at the Mangino days, and you know there, there, were some, there were some teams they had that they got to the quarterback, and their defensive ends weren't super athletic or guys that were big-time pass rushers, but, but they dialed up some linebacker blitzes. They did that zone blitzing scheme under Bill Young, and they found creative ways to get there. And I think Brian Borland can do the same. I mean, I don't. he's just not going to sit there and depend on his defensive ends to get to the quarterback. I mean, last year, Craig Young, as a linebacker, was second on the team in sacks. So there's other things he can do, too, scheme-wise, to, to put, put put pressure on the backfield.
0: Well, on the offensive side, KU also got an addition of Mikey Pauly as a preferred walk-on. Felt like a reaction to the loss of Ethan Vasco. What, what was your takeaway from, from adding Mikey Pauly?
1: Yeah, you know, I had a chance, um you know, I live a few blocks from his high school and I mean I had a chance to watch him play. a matter of fact I've watched him play play baseball several years. Very good athlete, you know, probably I don't know, six three ish and he's got some body to him. I mean if you watched him play football as like a junior junior and a senior he'll put his head down and run over you. I mean, one of his strengths was the quarterback run game and some of the scrambling he did and the design quarterback run plays. And, you know, one of the big things I was telling people this last week, Kansas offered him a, a scholarship out of high school to play football, okay? I mean, he was also ranked the number one catcher in the state by a lot of the baseball publications. But as a football player, Kansas offered him as a quarterback. So, you know, we come full cycle sometimes in this portal. You know, the local kid goes away, doesn't like where he is, wants to come back close to home, knows the programs that we're recruiting him, and he ends up at KU. So I think it's a great get for KU because they wanted him out of high school. It's not like they just took some guy who they said, hey, we're going to bring this guy in, put him on scout team, he'll be a good practice quarterback. They brought him in because they liked him, and, and they liked him coming out of high school.
0: Okay, let's say Jalen Daniels departs after this this season – and you're looking ahead to 2024. You added Mikey Pauly, who's probably going to be fighting for the third-string job this season. But going into 2024 with no Jalen Daniels, no Jason Bean, who would you pick as to be the starter at that point? Would it be Isaiah Marshall coming in, or or do you think Pauly has maybe a legitimate chance in the future to to battle for this starting job?
1: Well, you know, I, I think we got to wait and just see what happens with Pauly. You know, he's going to be coming into a brand new system. Okay, he's got to learn Nicky's scheme. Um, Isaiah Marshall from Michigan would be having to do the same. So if you wanted my opinion that if Jalen Daniels did not come back, I think you're gonna see a portal quarterback. All right. And 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 I could see them saying, Hey, we like Paulie, but he's still learning the system. He's only been here for six months. Isaiah Marshall is very talented, okay? And then he'll have every chance to perform and do something. But I think at that point they'd have to look to the portal and, and they can sell a quarterback, especially a one year guy, of hey, listen, we need you to come in here. We need you to battle for this starting job. You can win the job one year, and then you kind of bridge things for Marshall to learn the system, for Polly to continue to improve, and then also what else happens in quarterback recruiting from here on out. But, but that's what I think it was a as a likely scenario if, if he wouldn't return.
0: Well, a couple high school recruits recently have, have cut their lists of, of schools and included Kansas in them. We got a couple guys from Arizona that have done that. What do you think that says about the the work the staff has put in at the high school level with some of these maybe higher level recruits uh, cutting their list and maintaining Kansas on their list?
1: Yeah, they have, uh, you know, this spring they had a lot of good recruits come through to watch spring football. And that now when you start to look at the visit list, the official visit list this June, which by the way, June's just going to be crazy. I mean, I was just telling somebody the other day, June's the new December. We used to sit here in December and look at you know all the recruiting action that's going to take place that's now going on in june since everything's been sped up but a lot of a lot of credit to jordan peterson okay at this time last year he was on a plane going to phoenix for the very first time kansas had never been recruiting there had never didn't have any connections and jordan peterson went down there it was literally last may is when he made his first trip there and he has built connections fast one of the high schools that he's done that at is Desert Edge, which, as you alluded to, you know, I mean, Jonathan Kamara is, is a legit linebacker guy. I mean, he just picked up Arizona State and Washington. He was just in town this week. That would be a huge kid. They've already got a commitment from Andre Gibson, the corner there, and then they're also going after Deshaun Warner, the defensive end from the same high school. So, I mean, you know, right now they're trying to land three kids from there, and I, I think they sit in pretty good shape. From the work that they've done as a staff there and what Peterson's done, all three of those guys are going to come in the same weekend at the end of June together for an official visit. So that, that that's a pretty good school to have some ties at right now.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Phoenix stuff, because I'm curious, I guess any reason why you think they decided, KU decided they wanted to go after that area, or what do you think kind of spurred the idea of, hey, we want to try to recruit this area specifically?
1: Well, you know, I don't know if they just looked at some areas that have been untapped you know, and I've said this, Nick, and I don't mean this in, in, in a negative way, but, you know, K- Kansas wants to, first off, they want to recruit locally, okay? And they put a lot of resources and people out on the road to do that. I mean, they, are, they, re- they offer a lot of kids around here. But for whatever reason, okay, the local recruiting with the bigger names has just gone slow, okay? And, and it's a strange deal, and I don't know if it's because Kansas State has done such a good job locally and then you've got Missouri and you got Nebraska and the Oklahomas that are coming in the area all the time. And I think Kansas has got to look and they've got to say, okay, where can we go to keep recruiting kids? If if we can't get or we're not in line to get some of the bigger local guys, we've got to find areas that we can go to. Now, Jordan Peterson, I believe he was at New Mexico. He's been at Fresno State. He's been at Texas A&M. So, you know, that's an area kind of there in that West Coast region that they could send him to that Kansas has never been to. But I, it, was a, it was a great call because I think they're going to have some success there. But like I said, they've got to continue to get recruits, all right? The NCAA doesn't feel sorry for you that you're not getting as many local kids that you'd like, and you still have to fill out a class. So Kansas has done a great job recruiting outside the area they're trying like mad to get inside the area but if they can't get them you've got to have your regions like chris simpson's in detroit they've got guys in texas jim panagos has done, done some good things in florida jordan peterson's now in phoenix i know uh Zebrowski's out in california so i mean they're out all over the country
0: yeah, with getting those local kids and trying to establish that local recruiting, what do you think is the, the key to that? What do you think they need to do to try to kind of break through and maybe try to land a couple of the guys that are more local as well?
1: Well, I think it just comes down to consistently winning. That, that's what happened under the Mark Mangino in his era. They were able to you know, put a couple together nice seasons, and local kids started paying attention. Well, when you look around here, I mean, what have local kids around here – read and seen from KU football for the last 13 years since they're growing up. It's just been negative, right? It's been Kansas football until Lance Leipold got here, dating back to about 2009, has just had nothing but negative headlines. So that's what these kids have seen through their middle school years, their high school years. So I think that's slowly starting to change. When I talk to some of these recruits, when I talk to local high school coaches, who've gotten to know the Kansas coaches or they've been up to practice or they've been up to the KU football clinic. It's starting to change, but it's just not going to happen overnight.
0: You touched on a little bit about uh, the upcoming month of June. I guess for Kansas, what is kind of the outlook, you think, for the rest of the summer before fall camp starts?
1: Well, it's going to be crazy. So, I mean, June June used to be a month that football coaches looked forward to because it was usually a camp or two. And then you could get out of the office, and you start going on vacation with your family. You know, somebody would always have to man the office, but coaches could get out and recharge their batteries before that end of July hits. Because once the end of July hits, coaches get no breaks. Well, now, June is a madhouse. Because if you look, I want to say it's June 9th, that weekend, I think I've got them down with like 10 official visitors coming in. Then the following week, the June 15th, I think there's 10 more. And then all the way through the end of June, the Arizona guys are coming in. So when you look at it, I mean, we're going to be talking possibly 30 official visitors in the month of June, which, like I said, that used to be what they did in December. So everything has just sped up to the summer now.
0: Well, and I do think it's interesting. I wanted to ask you about this as well, Uh, the idea of – how important do you think it is the fact that KU is now focusing more heavily on high school recruiting? You know, we've seen previous coaches for Kansas try to maybe focus on the Juco levels or focus on transferring. I guess, is it a positive sign to you that now you see Kansas in a position where they can afford to maybe more specifically focus on high school level recruiting rather than just constantly trying to bring in new players out of Juco level or transfer, or whatever? Do you think that's a positive for KU?
1: Well, I, I do. I, here's what I think I think that they're formula or system, it isn't going to change. I think they're going to have a certain number of high school guys they want to go get. And then I think they're always going to leave open those spots available for the transfer portal. Okay. So I think, and and you're going to see a lot of programs do this. They're going to say, all right, we've got 25 scholarships to give. I think you're going to see people go out and sign 15, 16, 17 high school guys, right? And then keep eight portal guys open because what you want to do is you want to get through your season all right and then come October November it's giving you a chance to see okay we've got deficiencies here at this position we've got deficiencies at this position we're going to have to upgrade these quick we're going to need a portal guy who's maybe been through a division 1 program maybe played some football somebody who's more proven than a high school player so i think that i think they're doing the same thing that they did last year except Right now, because of the success last season, I think they're in more—they're on more higher-level high school recruits than I've seen in a long time at Kansas, and there's going to be some legit guys on campus in June.
0: All right, well, he is John Kirby. Be sure to check out all of his work and follow his work through the summer on Jayhawk Slant. John, thanks so much for your time.
1: Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.
0: All right, that was John Kirby of the Jayhawk Slant joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And as he said, it's going to be a very, very busy summer for KU, so you definitely want to keep an eye on the KU football recruiting trail through the course of this summer. Uh, again, he's uh, he's on Jayhawk Slant, so be sure to check out all of his work there to find out uh, what's latest with uh, with K football recruiting, and of course, we'll keep you up to date as well with uh, right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So, Over the summer, be sure to uh, keep it locked here on RCST. Well, that does it for this hour. Two hours down, one to go here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, An interesting commitment, not to Kansas, but somewhere else, but could have implications for KU. We'll talk about that coming up in the five o'clock hour. And also, speaking of KU football, we're almost to the 100 days countdown to uh, KU football coming back. So. Exciting times, to say the least. Two hours down, one to go here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Got it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. So we got another edition of Nick Chalk Sports Talk You're on RCST. Five o'clock hour and... There was an, an interesting commitment recently from a certain player to a certain university that is not KU but could affect KU in potentially a positive manner. That is one Keisha Johnson, a transfer from San Diego State, announced that he was going to play for Arizona next season. Now, the reason that is significant is because Arizona is another school that had been rumored as a possible uh, landing spot or destination for Arthur Kaluma if he decided to return from the NBA draft. Well, Kashad Johnson plays the exact same position that Kaluma does. He's six seven. He's a six seven wing uh, at San Diego State, who obviously wins the national title game. He averaged 7.7 points per game and 5 rebounds per game on 53% from the field. But he's not a good three-point shooter. He only attempted 42 threes last season and shot 26%. So not a great three-point shooter. But still a solid player on a team that went to the national title. And he scored 14 points in the national title game. That was probably his best game of the season, maybe, uh, against UConn in the national title game, which he scored 14 points. And he was on the transfer portal and opted to go to Arizona. So, that could be a positive for Kansas in terms of Other potential suitors for Arthur Kaluma because I think it's easy when I I think if this has happened a little bit with Arthur Kaluma, the idea of, well, all KU has to do is convince him to come back from the NBA draft and then he'll come to KU. (laughs) Well, that's not the case. I mean, if he's going to, if he decides he's going to not enter the NBA draft, there are going to be other schools that are going to want him as well besides KU. So it's not, it's not as simple as, oh, Arthur Kaluma's coming back out of the draft. Boom, KU. Now, there's going to be other schools that are going to be after him. But you would think, with this announcement from Keshaw Johnson uh, from San Diego State to Arizona, that this would eliminate Arizona from being a real serious contender, potentially for Arthur Kaluma, because of the fact that he's the same position uh, at 6'7 and whatnot. And so, Arizona was a team connected to Arthur Kaluma as well, but... Again you would think that this is has to be a positive for KU in terms of trying to lure Klum out of the draft and back to potentially transfer to KU. So a bit of interesting transfer news there uh, that's not not directly KU but could affect KU uh, in the next coming weeks is that right there they they opt for Keshaw Johnson opts for Arizona. And that, you would think, would eliminate Arizona from potentially going after Kalouba. Some other interesting transfer news. This is a guy whose name has been f- whose name has appeared on our Into the Transfer Portal segment with Derek semi-regularly. Uh, he's he's kind of an interesting case. It's uh, Oliver Nkamwa from Tennessee. And he is from the Netherlands, and the initial idea or the initial thought process on him is that he was going to go play professionally, potentially overseas. And he did not receive a combine invite. I think he went to the, like, the G League version of the combine, which I don't really know what that is, but I think I think there was some kind of like, G League camp or whatever that he went to, and I think did pretty well. Well, he was a guy that, like I said, has, has kind of been seen as more of... An afterthought, I guess, for KU in the sense of it didn't really appear as though he was going to be a player who was going to come back to college after transferring from Tennessee, or he wanted to leave Tennessee and go on and do something else, play professionally. Well, he set up a, he scheduled a visit to West Virginia recently. Now, the visit is for next weekend, I believe. And so he's going to take a visit to West Virginia, which is very interesting on. A couple of different fronts. Number one, West Virginia has already been very active in the portal. And, and Kamala is, is I think he's a little bit of a bigger player. So he probably wouldn't be a guy that you would play uh, like in a three spot next to KJ. Probably not. I think he would be a guy you would play at the four. And then KJ would be like your super sub type player or, you know, whatever. Incomah, at 6'8", 10.8 points per game last season for Tennessee in 36 games. Played 25 minutes a game. 33% from three. Pretty good. Pretty decent. Five rebounds a game. And the 10.8 points per game for Incomah on Tennessee. And obviously, Tennessee was the number one defensive team in the country, so you figure he's a decent defender as well. And, And again, I think the question would be where would he fit in for Kansas, but this wasn't even really an option, I don't think, for KU. But now with the visit to West Virginia, I think you have to seriously consider, does this mean that he wants to play college basketball again or that he's more open to playing college basketball? Because what are the, what? Are, why else would you set up a visit to to West Virginia? And like I said, West Virginia has been very active in the portal already, and they they already have a couple of big guys. They got Jesse Edwards, who's going to play their five. They have a, another, I think, Trey Mitchell, if I'm not mistaken, is still on their team. So I think setting up a visit to West Virginia is interesting because he would have to really I think probably fight for quite a bit of minutes at West Virginia whereas Kansas I think he would probably slot in and and be a starter and would have his minutes pretty well locked down. And for West Virginia, how many scholarships do they have left? I they like I said they've signed a number of portal guys. But yeah, the the biggest news about this from the Kansas perspective is this is a guy who was viewed as really not on the table because it really did seem like the rumor was that he was going to go pro potentially overseas and so it, it it wasn't really there hasn't really been much talk connected to incommo at all from the KU standpoint I would say well if he is playing college basketball or if he is the or if he does want to come play college basketball now you do have to open up the discussion of what's the fit for Kansas What's the fit at KU? Like I said, it's 6'8. He's a bigger guy. So you'd probably want him at the four. 6'8 over 230 pounds. You probably want him on the four. He he's most he was most known uh in the tournament for going off for 27 points against Duke. And like I said, he'd probably be your four. can you really play KJ at the three? Eh, I don't know, maybe, but like. I I don't know. I mean, or would it be like a more of a Timberlake type player? And like I said, KJ is just your super sub backup four slash backup five. It's it's certainly a discussion that now I think if you're Kansas, you have to open yourselves up to a little bit just because of the idea of, okay, here's a guy who we thought wasn't a possibility, and now he might be because he's scheduling visits to other schools, which means that he must – have some level of interest in possibly returning to play college basketball, which that did not appear to be the case prior to this. I think that's what makes it so interesting. So, and then on top of that, is Nkama a guy that you would rather have over a Kaluma, potentially? It's hard to say. I mean, I think from a fit standpoint, Kaluma immediately slots in at the three and makes a little bit more sense. But Nkamo might be a better defender maybe. It just wouldn't maybe be as good of a fit. So there, there's definitely still some questions left to be answered about that. But another guy that Kansas could potentially out of their board, and I, I referenced this earlier in the show, but there's this idea that you know, KU misses on Mbako, They don't have a ton of really top-level targets left that they can go after as somebody who's going to play at KU, right? They, they, I mean, it's it's pretty late in the game. Obviously, the transfer portal window has been closed for undergrads, for graduate transfers. I think it's you can still transfer and, and be eligible immediately. But in terms of, you know, top-level players that KU wants or that would be able to play at KU, there's not that many options. And so whenever you have a guy who could potentially be on that list that wasn't on the list previously, and now all of a sudden it seems like he might be. You gotta, you gotta make the call, right? You gotta do your due diligence. I think if you're KU, even if the fit maybe isn't as great as it might be with some other players, because at this point I think KU just needs another. They need another starter level player. I, I don't think there's any question about that. They need because because right now, I mean, you're technically you could roll out a starting lineup of Dickinson, KJ. Timberlake, El Marco Artirio, and DeWan Harris. But your depth is you're looking at Marcus Adams, you're looking at a Jamar McDowell, Chris Johnson type, those types of players. You know, unproven freshmen. So if you're Kansas, you undoubtedly would like to see a guy that you could bring in who could play three the three slash the four, probably. Right? I mean that's that's why you're looking at McCullough. that's why you're looking at Kaluma, that's why you could be looking at a guy like Nkama. So it's 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 a rather it is a rather interesting development to say the least. Because this is this is someone who we've had multiple we do into the transfer portal. We've done that segment multiple times and he's not a guy that's we've put on it very often just because it just seemed like a foregone conclusion that he was not necessarily a player who was very interested in continuing to play at the college level. But now the scheduling of a visit to West Virginia, I think certainly opens that door. And it, I think it should open the door for Kansas also to to potentially make a call or have a conversation or talk about it. Well, that's a couple updates on KU basketball recruiting. Kashad Johnson picks Arizona, the transfer from San Diego State. Not a guy that KU was on at all, but the reason it's significant why he picked Arizona. He was a guy who Arizona seemed to be in or he was. He plays a similar position that Kaluma plays. Kaluma was the guy that Kaluma was connected to Arizona, but now it, it would think you would think that this. Commitment kind of takes Arizona out of contention for possibly going after Kaluma because they just got Johnson. And then Oliver and Kamwa, the Tennessee transfer, setting up a visit to West Virginia. It's been uh, quite the offseason for West Virginia, by the way. I mean, just in terms of first it was in the positive. They got some really, really good transfers to say the least. They actually got a guy from Arizona, Kirk Carissa. And then you had the whole Bob Huggins thing that blew up a little bit. And he's going to be suspended while taking a serious pay cut. But that hasn't stopped them from putting in work in the transfer portal. They're still looking to add more pieces. And I can't really blame them. I mean, West Virginia, they right now, if the season started today, they would maybe be in the top five in the Big 12. But I still don't think they would be in contention to, like, really, really win the title. I mean, to me, that's still, at this stage, KU, Houston, and Texas. Those top three. West Virginia might be four, but I think there's a gap. But if they get a guy like in combo, maybe that gap isn't there anymore. Maybe they should be considered more of a, one of the favorites to make a run. So, That's just one of the guys that they might be looking to add. But it could be a guy that KU also tries to add. So we'll see what happens with that. All right, well, the Mass Street TBT team for KU, KU alumni Mass Street NIL team that they are putting together, they added another player to their roster Talk a little bit about that coming up next. And later on we'll wrap up the show with our RCST replay. We'll take a short break here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening to RCST on thirteen twenty and KLWN and Lawrence. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.